The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. Hello and welcome to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. My name is Alex Doherty and my guest today is Financial Times journalist Tom Hancock, who is currently reporting from the city of Wuhan in Hubei province, China, the epicentre of the coronavirus outbreak. We spoke about the situation in the city, the response of the Chinese government to the crisis and how it compares to the SARS outbreak of 2002. We also discussed the broader political significance of the outbreak and the public mood in Wuhan and China more broadly. I began the interview by asking Tom his impressions of the situation in Wuhan. On the streets, Wuhan is extremely quiet. There are almost no people walking around on the streets. Most people are staying at home and following government advice to stay indoors as much as possible, and sometimes venturing out to go to supermarkets, some of which remain open to get supplies, and then uh, quickly going back home again. I could hear a bird song on the streets of Wuhan uh, during the middle of the day today, which is quite unusual. Um, And I've been cycling around uh, because uh, there's been a ban imposed on uh, private cars. Um, So there are some cars on the roads which are making deliveries or which are... Uh, dropping people off at hospitals. And apart from that, there are no other private cars allowed. So people are staying close to where they live, either um, cycling or walking. How do things seem regarding the the situation of of supplies? Because in the early stages, there was criticism about a a lack of medical supplies. Yes. Well, it's clear that there was a serious lack of medical supplies. That was one of the main ways in which the uh, stress on the healthcare system in Wuhan and surrounding cities was shown. So you saw hospitals were putting out requests for basically people to donate things, um, masks, protective suits for doctors. And then also because many people who have come down with this virus have required intensive care treatment, then there was also a demand for respirators and other medical devices that are used in intensive care wards. So there was a, a quite a serious shortage. I think there's been some alleviation of those shortages over the last few days. But still, from what I'm hearing from medical staff here, there's uh, some concern about shortages of, of masks and basic items like that. And I mean, obviously, this is not the, the first public health crisis that the Chinese authorities have faced in recent years. What's your sense of the response both at the governmental level and at the provincial level, compared to the SARS outbreak of uh, 2002? Yes, well, it's clearly a dramatic difference from the way the SARS crisis was handled. In that case, from the first examples of people being diagnosed with uh, with SARS, from when the Chinese government centrally acknowledged that there was a problem with a new virus, 
that was a process of, of several months. In, in this case, it was a matter of days. And also, uh, Chinese scientists were able to um, examine this new virus and identify it genetically. And that was something that uh, China didn't have the capacity to do in the time of SARS around 2002. That could only be done by a Hong Kong medical team at the time. And uh, with this virus, once Chinese scientists identified it, they shared the genome immediately with scientists around the world who were able to study it. And so there's been a lot more transparency coming from, I think we can say, the scientific community in China. And one of the things that was set up following SARS was that China created a network of disease control centers, which are to some degree modeled on the, the U.S. CDC. And they were trained by the, uh, by the U.S. and other countries were also involved. And that kind of network just didn't exist uh, you know, just for recording cases uh, where people come down with, uh, you know, cases where people come down with uh, illnesses, which uh, are not, the cause is not clearly identified. There's a system where cities will uh, notify provinces and notify the central government. That's something that you really didn't have, you know, getting on almost 20 years ago when we were, when China was dealing with SARS. And you've got a, a system in place there uh, which can raise an alarm when there's a new epidemic and uh, spread that alarm much more much more widely. So that's sort of on the on the scientific side, if you like. Um, but then there's also another layer on top of that, which is the political. And it seems like you know once again in in this case we didn't have a cover up. The government, both at a local and and a, and a national level. Uh, said uh, very clearly at the beginning that there was a, a new virus. Originally, it was uh, just seen as a, an identified kind of pneumonia. Uh, and then eventually, you know, the government did disclose uh, what, the, what the virus was. That, that, and that happened within weeks of uh, the first cases being found. So that's quite different to SARS. But one thing which I think the, the government has been criticized for uh, within China, by many ordinary people, is that I mean, just to, just to step back a, a second, it's very important to understand that under Xi Jinping, who's been in charge of the Communist Party in China since 2012, uh, controls over the media, which were already quite tight before he came to power, have tightened quite a lot more. So there's really less room for independent media reporting in China, and the role of the state media has become more dominant. And if you look at the way state media reported what was coming out of the scientific establishment during the early weeks of January, they didn't give that much prominence to what was going on in Wuhan. And um, for ex just, to, just to give one example, uh, the best-selling newspaper in Wuhan, the Wuhan Evening News, which is a state-run paper, didn't put anything about the outbreak of this virus on its front page for almost a two-week period in early January while it was spreading. And that, that coincided with a period where you had important political meetings going on in Wuhan, which is the capital of Hubei province. You had both municipal and provincial officials meeting. And during that period, Chinese journalists, you know, were, it's very well known that controls over the media tighten. The most important thing is to uh, report what's going on at these conferences what officials said what, and um, 
So the virus really wasn't given much prominence. I arrived in Wuhan uh, a week ago and people were extremely relaxed. Uh, you know, they, they'd heard something, maybe there was some virus somewhere and they thought, well, you know, it'll probably blow over in a, in a few weeks. That was the the general attitude amongst the public. And that was really something where we can probably question the way the media handled it. And with the government now uh, clearly dominating the way media works in China, therefore we can say, well, you know, the government was possibly not doing uh, all it could have done to spread awareness about what was happening. Just going back to that point on the, the scientific community, I mean, presumably the, the change from the response to the SARS outbreak in 2002, would you attribute that primarily to international embarrassment regarding the SARS outbreak as well as some internal dissent as well? Because, I mean, as you say, the Chinese regime is, is, is notably more authoritarian and more censorious than it was uh, back then. Yes, uh, well, I have to say that uh, I've been reporting on China for a decade, but I, I wasn't reporting on China around the time of SARS, and uh, so I'm not an I'm not an expert on uh, what the international mood was around around then. But obviously, China came in for heavy criticism, and that was why they really overhauled their whole disease control system. But I I would doubt that it was mainly because of foreign criticism. I mean. The Chinese government really doesn't want the viruses to be spreading. I mean, it has, it does have a sense of responsibility for its citizens, like um, most governments around the world. And um, I would, that would be the main motivation for uh, the changes that were, that were made. Regarding Xi Jinping, so, you know, he's obviously got rather a lot on his plate at the moment from the ongoing uprising in Hong Kong, quite frayed relations with the United States, and then the, the re-election of Chai Ing-wen in Taiwan. How uh, significant a political moment do you think this is? I think that it's obviously a, a very big deal. And we can see that from the huge response that there's been from the government over the last week as they've really become aware of the extent of the crisis. So the first thing we saw was the ban on public transport in Wuhan. People were not able to leave the city by public transport. And then also private transport. Uh, the same thing was applied there. People weren't able to drive out of the city. And now we've got even a ban on, on cars and uh, most private cars on the roads here. And we've seen those measures extended to pretty much the whole of Hubei province where tens of millions of people live. And we've seen basically every province in China put on its highest emergency alert. So, for example, anyone who travels from Hubei province or has traveled over the last two weeks to any other province will be subject to a quarantine where they'll probably have to stay on their own for two weeks under uh, regular medical supervision, mostly in their homes, sometimes in medical facilities. So the reaction is really huge. You know, another thing we've seen is, is the extension of, of holiday periods in, in China. This is already a, a week-long Lunar New Year holiday period, which is a national holiday. And now we've got cities around China who are saying that they're going to extend that by a week or 10 days. The people I speak to around Wuhan expect here that they won't be returning to work for at least a month. And clearly that will have huge economic ramifications. But the Communist Party is it's willing to do what it takes to stem the spread of this virus. Um, so we can see that they're take, taking it very seriously. It's a very big deal for the leadership. And we had a, a quite a rare event, a uh, glimpse into 
a meeting of the Politburo Standing Committee, which is the seven-member committee which effectively runs China, the uh, most senior committee within the Communist Party. And uh, they had a televised meeting about the, well, it wasn't fully televised, of course, but a partially televised meeting about the virus outbreak over the weekend. That's something we don't see often. So clearly this is a big priority. And as, and as you say, it comes amid a year of uh, you know, many challenges for leadership, you know, things that are happening in, in Hong Kong, as you mentioned, obviously uh, would be taking up quite a lot of their thoughts already. And it was a big year, just 2020, it was a big year in terms of targets that the uh, Communist Party had set. So, for example, they had a target of doubling GDP from 2010 levels by 2020. And they're on, on, they were on course to, to, reach, to reach that. They also had a, a target of eliminating extreme poverty. So um, there's a huge campaign to try and improve uh, living conditions for those who are living on less than a dollar a day, which there are still about uh, 10 or 15 million people on that standard of living in China. And that was something that was meant to be complete by this year. So it's a big year in terms of what the party wanted to do. And also, um, as you said, they've, they've faced a number of external challenges, and this is adding, adding to it. So, yes, it, it is a, it's a big deal. Regarding the response, in a lot of Western media reporting on China, including from media outlets that are, that are quite hostile to the regime, you, you sometimes see this kind of grudging respect for the speed and scale at which the Chinese state can move in, in these sort of crisis situations. Does that kind of reporting, does that square with your sense of how the state functions in these situations? Or is there anything you think it, it misses about, about that response? It's a tough question. I I do think it is fair to say that there's a lot of reporting on China, which is, you know, framed around the basic assumption, maybe that whatever the the Chinese regime does, maybe uh, there'll be a sort of more of a critical tone. So if if it's not responding, then that's a problem. If it's over responding, that's a problem. And um, I think some some people within China, uh, not all people, uh, might look at kind of reporting and say, well, you know, that's unfair. And then um, I guess the response would come that reporting everywhere is somewhat adversarial. You're meant to be criticizing those in power. Otherwise, what's the point of it? So, yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to try and get the balance right. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough one. And um, I'm not sure exactly what you're driving at, but uh, that's uh, my immediate thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wondered if if there was something slightly caricatured about about that, perhaps, and that it perhaps presented the the way in which the Chinese state responds as too straightforward and and, and linear, and that actually the the process of responding to crises, whether that's the financial crisis and, and the creation of new public infrastructure or, or this situation that we see here, whether it's all actually you know if you're if you're on the ground, it all looks rather more messy than it perhaps does from from outside. Well, that that is of course the case, and. Uh... You know, anybody who writes about China or studies it for a living will tell you that whatever part of it they're studying is immensely complicated. And uh, the parts, uh, you know, even if you're looking at just one kind of bureaucracy in China, if you were just looking at the healthcare system, there's provincial healthcare, there's um, the national insurance system. Sometimes they don't talk to the drug regulator and there's all kinds of infighting and, and various uh, inefficiencies. And yes, probably there's an impression overseas that it's maybe all just Xi Jinping can wave his hand and something can happen. Of course, that's, that's not the case. But then, of course, it's worth emphasizing that 
uh, compared to his predecessor, she has centralized power in all kinds of ways. And it, it's fair to say that, at least relative to the previous leadership, he is more powerful. What's your sense of the popular mood in Wuhan and perhaps in China more broadly regarding the crisis and, and the way the government has, has responded? Um, well, my immediate sense um, in Wuhan is that people are very nervous and uh, concerned. The atmosphere is quite tense. People don't know how bad uh, this virus outbreak will become. And they are trying to learn everything they can about that through whatever means they have, social media prominently being a source. And so there's this atmosphere of concern and, and tension. There's also a definitely an undercurrent of, of anger with the perceived lack of transparency from the government in, in some among some people. That's that's a widespread sentiment. And there's also a sort of maybe a, a national sense of pulling together. You know, there's a common cause and people have been rallying around the city of Wuhan in particular, making donations of money and making donations of medical goods. And there's a, a feeling that this is a, a challenge which affects everybody. And um, that that means that in some in some ways, people want to rally around the official efforts and try and support them uh, as best as they can. And when we've seen uh, anger online directed at uh, individuals who uh, left Wuhan before the curfew was imposed and then didn't tell people. So I think there's a sense that, you know, there's pretty widespread consensus in China that this this virus is something which uh, affects everybody and uh, therefore that there's a, a need to pull together and, and do what do what you can to try and uh, stop it from spreading. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Thanks for listening.